Welcome to Electric Sports Talk, your one-stop show for all things sports. Here at Electric Sports Talk, we focus on sports and only sports. And now, here's your host, Ty Crystal. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Electric Sports Talk. I'm your host, Ty Crystal. This will be our final like full-on college football show for the year. And then I think we might start alternating doing some NASCAR and mixing in that in, uh, and then we'll kind of see where it goes after that. But this one is going to be a full show about college football. Uh, obviously, we got a lot to talk about with the final game happening the other night, and then we're going to talk some coaching changes, some other stuff going on as far as that. Uh, and then we got some of, our, some of our own awards to dill out. We got some... Uh, which you know, will be the best awards. Yeah, it'll be which, yeah... These should have been the real awards given, right? Um, <laughs> exactly, because we know so much more than the national yeah, press. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Um, then we're going to give you guys, we're going to kind of talk about some teams to watch next year, who are our four early favorites leading into next year, and see what you guys think about that. Uh, Amos, you're here. Yay. Good to have you. Yeah, and, I'm great. Glad to be here. And Chris, you're here as well, again. Yes, as you well know, I'm I'm here. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was already jiving you there. No, that's okay. All right, Um so let's talk about this national championship game that happened. Um, I guess before we get too much into it, I'd like to kind of go maybe a little more quarter by quarter, uh, just kind of looking at the scores and some stats, and then uh, kind of talk about each team individually a little bit after that. Um, then kind of get your guys' thoughts on like the CFP as a whole, not just this game. But uh, So we'll just kind of see where this takes us. Um, but what's your guys' initial th- reaction to really – uh, a pretty crazy championship game, one that Bama dominated, and you know they was in their grasp pretty much from the kickoff. Well, I missed most of the game. I I was out probably till midway through the third quarter. When I started watching, looked at Alabama, pretty much had it in hand, and I watched some of the highlights, and there were not a lot of Ohio State highlights. So no, I mean Alabama looked like they come out swinging and just kept going right to the very end. I mean, they didn't even start subbing out their starters until like the last four or five minutes of the game. Mm -hmm. So they were pretty much, I think, putting an exclamation point on the fact that they were, there was no question, they were the best team in the country this year. So, I I mean, I don't know that it was an overly exciting game. I don't know that the outcome surprised anybody. I mean, Alabama just seemed to be getting stronger as the season went, and Ohio State just had their moments of brilliance, but they just couldn't put together a full season, and I think in the long run that's what hurt Mm, Ohio State. But, you know, congratulations to Alabama. Great season, undefeated. I mean, like we've talked, Ty, off the air, what they played. 11 SEC games. They played Notre Dame, the number four team in the nation, in the semifinal and the number three team in Ohio State, and are undefeated. I mean, that's – yeah. you can't get much more than that. So congratulations to Alabama. What do you think, Chris? I know you had a lot to say last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, the stat that jumps out at me is the total yards. Uh, you know, Alabama was 621 yards. Ohio State was 341 total yards. So that's the one stat that jumps out to me. Um you know, watching it, and I think Ty's going to break it down quarter by quarter, but watching the game, I kind of actually felt like Ohio State was was in the game 
pretty much till midway through the second quarter, and then oh, Alabama just we're going, we, you know, we're we're going crazy here. And I, I told Ty when the game started because we actually watched it together. I told him I said this is going to be a last possession game, you know, in the first quarter when they were basically trading scores. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> but then midway through the second quarter, it was like holy crap, what happened yeah. to Ohio State? It's like they yeah. tanked it. It was pretty. It was yeah. It was pretty bad. Uh, interesting. You talk about the total yards. Uh, I guess that's kind of something you overlook. Um, but the passing yards, really. I mean, we were close in the rush yards. You know, Bam only had a ten yard advantage, but Mac Jones put up some crazy numbers, and uh, that really helped out Alabama. All right. So we get in the first quarter. It's it's tight. Uh, each team kind of trades around possessions, and and we go through with a pair of rushing touchdowns. We're tied at seven seven, and I think that's when Chris looked at me and said, "Oh man." This is gonna be the game. This is gonna be a game where they put a lot of points on the board. Whoever has the ball last is gonna win. And at the time, I agreed with you, um, but it quickly turned around on us there. Oh boy, that second quarter <laughs> just—that was a bonfire, you know. So we come back out in the second quarter. At this point, Devonte Smith is is lighting it up. Mac Jones is playing really well. Um, and I will say, Mac Jones for me impressed like crazy in this game. Uh, my opinion of him has gone much higher after watching him closer in these last two games that Bama's played. Uh, so, you know, he took over, I felt like, in the second quarter. He found Devontae Smith in the second quarter. Uh, Smith had three touchdowns in that quarter. He played really well. The way Sarkeesian was moving him around was fantastic. Um, and then Najee Harris also, you know, contributed a, a passing touchdown too. So, like the biggest thing in the second quarter for me was that Steve Sarkeesian designed phenomenal plays to get the ball out of Mac Jones's hands quick and to the weapons that are all over the field. Uh, not just Smith, but you know, everyone was contributing. And ultimately when it come right down to it, I mean, Bama come out and scored, Notre Dame responded, Bama scored, Notre Dame responded with a field goal. And I remember Chris, you said that was going to be the biggest, you know, stop of the game. And it was right after that targeting call. Oh, yeah. And and you said, well, that field goal is going to change this whole game. And Bama comes out, two, scores two touchdowns in the last 320 of the half. And they almost tried to go and score again right before halftime. Uh, but they enter with a 35-17 lead at half. And it was just – it didn't look good after that. I mean, uh, just in pretty much the half, Devontae Smith had 215 yards and three touchdowns. So – I mean, th he was a little under 200 by that point. But, yeah, he, he played out of his mind in that first half. Uh, so, I mean, what do you guys think about that first half? Or is there anything else to take away from what I said there? One of the stats that jumps out at me, and I was just looking at it right now, is uh, Mac Jones was 36 for 45 on passing attempts for a total of 464 yards. I mean, that's that's more yards than the entire mm -hmm. Ohio State team was able to put up, yeah. you know, and and when you have one player making that big of a con contribution to the total game, I, you just can't beat it. the The thing that kind of worried me was there was a couple of turnovers that Bama had, and one of them resulted in an Ohio State touchdown. Right. And I thought, boy, you know, I don't know. I mean, mistakes are going to make the difference in this game, and and it didn't. Right. But I was kind of concerned about it at the time when it happened. Right. So we come back out of halftime. Devontae Smith gets injured early third quarter. Uh, it didn't matter, though. Bama went and scored 10 more points in that quarter, uh, held 
only one touchdown. Ohio State only one touchdown there. They maintained a 45-24 lead, and you know they ended up scoring early in the fourth, and then they just kind of coasted to the 52-24 to victory. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about in the second half, mainly because Alabama just had it under control and Ohio State couldn't get back on track. Uh, it was almost in some ways like the Clemson-Ohio State game when Ohio State just had control in the second half and Clemson like couldn't do anything. So it, it wasn't necessarily boring, but it, it kind of was in some ways because Bama was playing so well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately the story of the game was Devontae Smith's play in the first half and Sarkeesian, for me, his play calling. And just Bama as a whole being very smart, very together, and Nick Saban is an amazing coach. So that's, I mean, well, I, I think what more you, can you say? I don't remember what point in the game it was, but you commented to me about what a great decision Texas has made by hiring Sarkeesian as yeah, their I head coach. So. so to be honest, by the fourth quarter, I kind of zoned out. Yeah, I think I woke you up one time yelling yeah. at the TV. <laughs> yeah, you did, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, it just wasn't – I think that we all picked Alabama, obviously – I don't think any of us thought that it would be actually this bad of a game and Ohio State would allow 50 points. And, well, even if they allowed 50 points, I figured that they'd put up at least 45 themselves. So I was surprised. Um, Yeah, I didn't. I mean, after the way Ohio State handled Clemson, I figured, and I told you this, Ty, off the air, I'm like, you know, now Ohio State has to put another game together. Yeah, Justin Fields looked great against Clemson. And the defense handled Trevor Lawrence, and Ohio State dominated in all aspects. But that's kind of been the story of their season. They just they have one good game, and then they're off for two for COVID or whatever, and then they have a, yeah. a so-so performance and squeak by. And to me, I just watching – I kind of always figured it would be Ohio State and Alabama in the championship game, but – I. The, both teams took very different routes getting to there, and their teams both progressed differently. I mean, Alabama was strong right from the get-go, but they, as a team, improved and were and was better at every game going through the season. And Ohio State, whether it was because they missed so many regular season games, got a late start in the season, you know, whatever it was, they just could not – they just couldn't get a rhythm, and they couldn't improve. They couldn't gel as a team, and so it wasn't. I mean, it just this game just goes to show that Alabama. I think in a regular year, no COVID, I don't think it would have mattered. I think some of the wins might have been even worse for some of the teams they yeah. played. Based, I mean, they still Alabama still played thirteen games in a COVID year, and they just they were just getting better. As the year went on, they no COVID year could have been real ugly for some of them guys. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about the quarterbacks here, and then you know I think we talked a lot. Well, I talked a lot about Devonte Smith and how well he played. Um, but Chris, I want to ask you about Mac Jones. Amos, I want to ask you about Justin Fields. Uh, Chris Jones played phenomenal, like you already said, and, and you talked about tied the record with five touchdown passes. That's the most in a CFP game along with Joe Burrow. Um, f- so phenomenal play. Uh, but what did you see that you know impressed you the most with him in this game? Was there anything that stood out? Well, early on in the third quarter, he took a, 
a pretty substantial hit in the backfield. Ohio State was kind of getting to him a little bit mm. uh, in that third quarter, and he took a pretty hard hit. Uh, actually, when he was on the ground, an Ohio State player fell on his leg, and he got up gimping. and And what impressed me was, is is this kid just gutted it out? I mean he he stood in there and kept throwing passes and kept throwing completions yeah. and basically was just picking Ohio State's defense apart. Yeah, I think that's what impressed me the most right there, what you said at the end. The way he picked apart Ohio State's defense, it was almost like like it was honestly like he was a varsity quarterback playing against the JV secondary because he, they did not know what they were doing half he, the time. He definitely was well prepared coming into this game because, I mean, with the exception of a few blitzes in that, that whole offense just picked yeah. up whatever Ohio State was doing and shut it down. Well, and they talked a lot on the broadcast about his ability to prepare himself, and I think it was very obvious in this game. Like, it, Some guys aren't necessarily the most talented or athletic, and I don't think Mac Jones is, is either of those, right? He's not the most talented guy or the most athletic guy, but mentally he seems very strong and he's very smart. Uh but what do you think his prospects are at the next level entering the NFL? Well, how I would describe his performance in this game and, and basically all through the year, I, I want to call him a journeyman quarterback. You know, he doesn't do anything that just leaps right out at you and says, oh, man, this, this guy's just a superstar. Mm -hmm. But he's in there plugging away every quarter of every game, whether he's hurt or not, you know, and he, he takes what the defense is handing him. Yeah. And he capitalizes on it, and he picks it apart. And I, to be brutally honest with you, I mean, there's some guys coming out for this draft that are, you know, I won't say they're superstars necessarily, but they're good athletes. Mm -hmm. But I think Mac Jones could step into a, a pro program and be productive next year as a rookie. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, obviously, I think it will – depend on a system too right like he needs to oh, be yeah. he needs to have a good line and probably some talent around him uh but i don't see any reason why he couldn't step up to the next level i was talking to carson who i did the nfl podcast with last night and he was me and him were talking about how him and joe burrow are kind of similar in some ways where they had a lot of talent around them themselves on their national championship teams and so like you could kind of liken him to a guy like joe burrow but you know, we'll have to see how his play plays out at the next level. Well, I'll, I'll say this. You know, watching this game against Ohio State and watching Clemson against Ohio State, as an example, Mac Jones stood in there and, and you know, basically capitalized on what Ohio State presented him defensively. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence, on the other hand, seemed to me like he got rattled in that game and could never really get on top of what yeah. was going on with Ohio State. It really didn't help that uh, Lawrence's line was letting everything come through. Like That was a tough game for him yes, in was. a lot of ways. And that is something that you're always nervous about with guys going on to the next level when you get around talent that is not as good as where you were in college. Right. Especially with the line. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that can be a real problem for sure. Uh, Amos, we talked... We've talked a lot about Justin Fields this season, actually, about kind of where his draft stock is going. And I think entering the season, everyone was pretty convinced he was the second best pick, like overall in the draft, and definitely the best, second best quarterback to be taken in the draft. My opinion has 
changed a little bit uh, from the start of the season with that. But for the most part, it's similar. Um, you said last week that you think in order to you know really prove himself after that great Clemson performance, he had to come in and put a, together another good game. I don't necessarily think he played bad, uh, but he didn't play great either. Like he just kind of was okay, and I think he he didn't make uh, some good decisions throughout the game. I think he was trying to throw multiple picks that didn't get caught, so he was kind of lucky. Uh, but he didn't do anything that impressed me, and you know that it's another worrying sign for me. I think. Well, the so I didn't like I said I didn't get to see all of the championship game, which is unfortunate because I'm looking at some stats between the championship game and the semifinal game against Clemson. I mean, Clemson, he was 22 28, 78% completion, 385 yards, six touchdowns, one INT, eight rushing attempts for 42 yards. One week later, 17 to 33, 52%, 194 yards, one touchdown. I mean, and if you kind of go back and look at him through the season, he starts out super hot, 20 to 21, 90%, two touchdowns against Nebraska. Beats up on Penn State, beats up on Rutgers. Then you kind of start getting into what I say is probably the better teams of the division with Indiana. Need still does okay, but his completion percentage drops clear down to 60%. Two touchdowns, three INTs. He, they beat up on poor old Michigan State, but he still didn't have a stellar game. He was, I mean, it was a good game, 70%. Northwestern, the Big Ten championship game, I mean, he, they're lucky. <laughs> they won that game based on these stats. I mean, 20 for 27, 44%, two INTs. Yeah, that worries me. It's like he he just keeps going. He his progression is regressing. If and then in the the championship game, he was rattled. Um, Clem or Alabama is probably the closest thing to an NFL defense you're going to see in college. Yeah, that was the biggest difference I noticed between the Bama game and the Clemson game is Bama's de- like I thought Clemson's defense was better than they were. I. Yeah, I gotta retract that statement because I, they were not very. Yeah, good they in that were game. not the normal defenses like, they've had. Alabama's lineman was a big part of that game. I feel like, and the pressure they put on Fields really kind of messed him up in a lot of ways. Uh, but if, it was kind of the same deal with Northwestern, where they got pressure on him and and kind of got to him, and Indiana too. Like, I don't know if it's, I don't necessarily know what it is, but it seems like the pressure in the bigger games is getting to him. Yeah, I don't know if it's something that he he's he's obviously going to have to work on that mental aspect of his game. I mean, physically the guy's gifted. He can chuck the ball when he's when he's in a good rhythm, he's pretty accurate. Um I think the thing that that's going to bring into question is his decision making, whether he can go through his pro- uh, progressions well. And then I always call this when you start to panic, you start playing hero ball. So he he tries to put the team on his shoulders, yeah. and he starts to try. He makes poor decisions, poor throws, forced throws. Uh, doesn't give the offensive line a chance, so he leaves the pocket early, and then it ends up putting his team in bad position. Gives his defense short fields. There ultimately is a turnover. So. To me, I think you can kind of coach some of that out of a player, 
But for the most part, that I mean, that's just how kids play too. So, I mean, he nonetheless he's going to go high in the draft. I think he's a first rounder. He kind of keeps dropping on some mock draft boards that I look at regularly. He's kind of bounced anywhere from the second overall pick clear down to the twelfth to fifteenth pick. So he's going to get paid. He's going to do decent. It's just a matter, I think he's a lot like Mac Jones. He's going to have to go to a team that is going to suit his style of play, that's going to give him the ability to run the ball, that's not going to That's going to have some other guys on the offense that can kind of take some of the pressure away from him so he doesn't have to make so many crucial decisions and then coach him up, get him mentally tough. I, I guess I, I – if I remember correctly, he's a little injury prone too. So, yeah. But when you're working out and eating right and hitting the gym every day, that should help up help things out. How so. much? Uh, we're all. I mean, we're all pretty familiar with the the top five quarterbacks. I would say less with Trey Lance, but I'm not really sure since he just hasn't played this year. I'm not really sure if he is a top five guy. Like it's up for interpretation, I guess. Um, but who do you like? Do you guys kind of? For me, I'm kind of starting to compare Wilson and Fields as similar players with a lot of the aspects of their games. Uh, but what do you guys think about that comparison with those two guys? I, I think that you probably are about spot on with that. I, I kind of wonder, because Amos kind of touched on it just now, and you know, this has been such a tough year for all these players. Conditioning is probably a huge factor in how this whole thing's come down, and the reality is, is Bama's had a full season of games and conditioning and practice yeah. and and the whole bit. And Ohio State, you know, they got limited for whatever reason by the Big Ten. And so I think you're spot on on that comparison, Ty. But I also think that Amos's point about conditioning is probably a huge factor in this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess the only reason I make that comparison is not necessarily to say that they are similar quarterbacks, just to mainly point out that regardless of who takes, like, where they go, I feel like they're very similar as far as their decision-making, their abilities, their athleticism. I think Fields is maybe a little more athletic and, like, faster quarterback when he scrambles, but I'm not so sure if either guy gets taken, like, second overall or third over fourth or whatever that they're that much better or the team that's picking them is that much better off than taking the other guy. So uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see what happens with this, that type of situation. Well, most mock drafts that we look at regularly, Ty, have one has Zach Wilson. The next has Justin Fields being the second quarterback off the board. And then it, it swaps, and there's a lot of similarities. Um, <clears throat> you're, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Justin Fields is probably a little bit more – gifted physically that's not really an issue as much as he needs to work on his <clears throat> he needs to work on his mental preparation a little bit which i think that can be coached up in the nfl you get in the right system you get the right quarterback coach you get the right offensive coordinator you kind of work a system around the guy i think he'll be okay i don't think last night's performance or even say the big 10 championship performance is going to really if you're looking for a quarterback and you and he will fit in your system. You take him. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I don't know. My, I don't know. honestly, as the seasons progress, like he's really fallen in in my mind. Just just because 
So Mac Jones and Kyle Trask played like they played SEC competition the entire year, and I thought they played much better. And the Big Ten is probably the second best conference, maybe. Uh, but it doesn't feel like Fields played that great in the games that he needed to play Need, good yeah. in. So, and I, you know, you don't know about Zach Wilson because he he's kind of come out of nowhere, and you don't know the level of competition there. Same with a guy like Trey Lance. We all know that Trevor Lawrence is the top guy, but it's just kind of a question mark for me with Fields because Mac Jones and Trask were just pretty consistent the whole year, and they played against the top competition in the country. So it's hard for me to want to take Fields over either of those two at this point because I just don't know exactly what I'm going to get, even with Wilson sometimes. Well, that's true. I mean, you know what you're going to get with Mac Jones, um, Trevor Lawrence. They, you know, Trevor Lawrence has proven it for three years. Mac Jones had a phenomenal season. But in the same sense, Alabama puts quarterbacks in the NFL, but there's not been a lot of, or, uh, you know, they don't really go to the NFL and make a big splash either. So, I mean, it we can sit around our little table and, pass back and forth who's the best quarterback and things that we think they need to change or to work on. But, I mean, when you're evaluating quarterbacks, where they draft, who takes them, how they get picked, it's a crapshoot on quarterbacks. I mean, you're uh, – Yeah, you're I agree just, with that. And and I'll be honest with you, with exception of two, maybe three of these guys, I think anybody that drafts any of these quarterbacks with, like I said, two or three of these guys – they're going to be a project. Yeah. They're, 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 there is none of them that I can see with accepting Mac Jones and, and uh, Trevor Lawrence that are really going to come in and make a difference in a program immediately. Yeah. Well, and, but that's the thing. Some of them are going to get thrown into the position based on where they go. So, yeah. Well, like a guy that's like. That's hard. Holy cow. Let's just say a guy like Wilson does end up going to a place like the Falcons. I mean, he could get thrown into that day one and. And be their guy. And, so. and I'll come back to what I've said about Wilson all year. I just don't think he's mentally ready for that kind of a, you know, situation. I mean, he he obviously thinks he's ready for that kind of a situation because he's declared for the draft. But I I just I don't see it. Well, a lot of it's going to depend on on the team they go to too. So yeah, exactly. I mean. If if the system's not going to work out for you, then it's just not going to work at all. So yeah, you can be the best quarterback in. Like you take Trevor Lawrence, best quarter. You know, gonna more than likely going to be the number one overall pick. But let's say, you know, it was Jacksonville, who's most likely. Well, they do have the first pick. Are they going to build an offense around him, or are they going to try and mold him into an offense? that they are set in. And obviously that's yet to be seen because we don't even know who the head coach is. But, I mean, you know, way, way comparison. Trevor Lawrence is not going to be drafted by the Baltimore Ravens and then do what Lamar Jackson does. So, obviously, the quarterback's got to go to the right system, the right setup. I mean, it's ideal situation. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, they get drafted by Alabama – or by Atlanta. They set one – year behind Matt Ryan, and then take over. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you don't want to be Justin Fields and go to the New York Jets and under a new head coach and a dumpster fire of a program and expect to start and 
Yeah, take and them I, to the promised think, land. You know, I think some quarterbacks in the NFL are way better teachers, you know, of the quarterback position than others are. You know, and and I could name. I I think Drew Brees would be a great teacher. You know, yeah. I think uh, uh, I'm drawn. My mind's going blank right now. The Green Bay quarterback. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think. How do you they, draw a blank on Aaron Rodgers? Well, no, no, no. I was actually thinking of uh, the one before him. <laughs> Brett Favre. Brett Favre. <laughs> there again. I, I think, well, yeah, I know, I know. No, well, you know, it's my I'm age. joking with you. But, no, no, I, I get it. But I think Brett Favre, I mean, the reality is, and I've read a lot about this, Brett Favre learned how to be a good quarterback from Ty Detmer. You know, and, and, and he even he has said that Ty Detmer taught him more about being a quarterback. Yeah, and Ty Detmer never even – he never even really didn't played play. in the NFL. No, he didn't. But but here again, you know, his ability to coach. Mm-hmm. So I really worry about some of these kids getting into programs. I'm trying to think who the quarterback for Cincinnati or Cleveland several years ago came out with high expectations in the draft and just bombed. I mean, he was just an absolute like Amos well, said he was he was a dumpster fire. There's so many of those guys though. I mean, but that's the problem. The market is, you know, always eager to find new guys, and then it's not nice to them if they don't succeed. So, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and some of these guys could land in a situation like that. I mean, I honestly, there's so many teams just in the top ten that could potentially draft quarterbacks this year that I have no idea where any of them are really going to end up at. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, but we'll be talking more about that. Uh, if you guys would be interested, I'd love to get Carson in and have him talk with us about that too. He does, like I said, he does the NFL shows with us, so he'd be a little more versed on what the NFL need team needs and everything. Yeah, so I that'd think be, be fun. fun to talk about the draft. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I could take over Todd Mache's job, no problem. ESPN, <laughs> hook me up. All right, so we just talked about the final, and then we kind of went on a little tangent about the the quarterbacks there for a second, um, but I think that was good. So let's talk about the CFP like as a whole, though, this season. Um, the criticism's always out there. And just a quick side note, I put a video on the notes, guys, and you should go watch it. Uh, did you guys already watch it? I didn't. I did. Okay, Chris, you need to go watch that video. Uh, it's about the CFP and like some of the problems with it. It's very interesting. I think it's worth a watch. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more next week, I guess, if you guys are interested in hearing about it. But it was very interesting because the the central premise of the video is about how the CFP was put forward as this idea of giving the little guy a chance and being more inclusive for all the teams across the country. But it's turned into, you know, like a a boys club only for the big teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a good video. Um, But what do you guys think about how the CFP played out this year? I mean, I know we've talked a little bit about how Texas A&M got left out. Some people were mad about it. Some people weren't. Um, but the overall four selections, I guess let's start there. What Do you guys think the right four teams ended up in the playoff? Okay, so this is where it gets tough between being a fan and being an analyst. Uh-huh. Looking back on it now, I'm thinking maybe Notre Dame shouldn't have been in the top four, uh, and maybe A&M should have replaced them in the top four. And, and it's really a tough one for me because I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I also see the arguments that, that A&M people have been putting out. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
the the whole idea of a of a P five and a G five school, you know, that really grates on me because I think there were some G five schools that actually could have performed better, maybe not in the top five, but could have been better performers in the CFP poll as the the year went on. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I mean, the CFP is going to always have its criticism. Um, I guess you talked about this right before we started, Amos, but you kind of brought up the idea of discussing how the teams outside the P5 conferences uh, could get more recognition and be more respected in, in you know, country uh, nationwide. I mean, is there an, a good answer to that question? Because uh, in this video, I mean, I'll, I'll refer back to this video again, uh, but it talked about how UCF had these two amazing seasons where they didn't lose like a game in the whole two seasons or something like that. And they, the highest ranking they had was like nine or eight or something. Like they weren't even close in the CFP talks. And it's kind of like with Cincinnati this year. So you can build a program. You can have consistent years of success. You can win conference titles. You can be undefeated. But it just almost seems like no matter what, the top four is going to be someone with a big name. And if you're in a G5 school, it's, it's you know, you're not in. Is there an answer? No, there's not because everything that you like. So everybody cried about the BCS because it was uh, all set up by a computer program, and you it didn't take into account certain things, or there were too much criteria to try and pick this team or that team. And then there was the human element where they the algorithm pulled in what the coaches pull and the AP pull was which was like I said a human element to bring in the champion um and really the only reason they changed from the BCS to the CFP is because there were so many of the G5 teams that were coming in to the BCS and you know being the bracket but being the buster of the BCS and winning a game here going undefeated there so I think yeah in order for my personal opinion the reason that they went from the BCS to the CFP was to make it more inclusive. Then that way there was no way that you were going to get a G5 team in because it was all a human element. It was all bigger named conference representatives that were dictating who got in where and and placing these teams how they seem fit and being able to give whatever type of excuse they want. So it sounds good on paper to have a 14 playoff. It sounds great to have an 18 playoff, but Outside the top five, the P5s, who do you bring in for your other three fillers? And then you turn around and say, oh, we're going to have an 18 playoff, so they're just going to fill it with eight P5 teams. I mean, because you're going to still have the same argument. Well, does a BYU that played the schedule they did this year, even though they're a one-loss team, did they have a tougher schedule than Georgia? Did they play more a tougher schedule than Texas A&M? So it's it almost, and I've heard this theory kicked around on the local radio station. Ty, you and I have talked about it a little bit. It's almost like the G5 teams need to just band together, give the finger to the CFP, figure out a way to have their own little bracket of four and go from there and play their own games. And then, yeah, and I don't think the P5 would care. They would take the finger with joy and say, see ya. Yeah. We got all the money anyway, so figure it out. Yeah. But maybe, I don't know, do you break it down to another 
division within uh, D1 and I, I give them a chance? I Let me ask you this, Amos. I do think that's a bad idea, but... Do you think happen. if Notre Dame hadn't aligned with the conference this year that they would have been in that top five? Because so, I've had that rattling around in my mind. Well, I have too, and I don't know. I would have to pull it up and look and see what Notre Dame's schedule was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. But normally they play USC, Michigan, Michigan State, somewhere in there. I mean, they have top 25 teams scheduled. So if you come to me with a 12-0 and Notre Dame, on their normal independent schedule, yeah, I don't have a problem putting them in the top four. Okay. I mean, if they're undefeated or their one loss is to the number one team in the nation, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. See this, and I, well, I said this here, before. Hold on real quick. Let me, before we move on too far from this. Okay, so Florida, uh, not Florida, Notre Dame's schedule next year is at Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, uh, Wisconsin on a neutral field, Cincinnati, at Virginia Tech, USC at home, North Carolina at home, Navy at home, at Virginia, Georgia Tech, and then at Stanford. Would you, if they went undefeated with that type of schedule, they'd they'd be in? Yeah, right? I yeah. see. Yeah, of course. Why not? I mean, that schedule is no different than Alabama playing a full SEC and Ohio State playing a full Big Ten and being the conference champs. You know, and I think, I think Notre Dame picking. The ACC as the conference of choice to play in this year benefited the ACC. Yeah, I agree. With you that. know, I mean, they're but, the ones that made out like bandits. They got two teams in the CFP. How much did each each program get? The thing like, I look for being at with a CFP Notre Dame, team? I don't know, a couple is, million. The thing I look at with Notre Dame is, is you talked about money, and I don't discount what you said, but Notre Dame's packing a big bank. Yeah. With, with their contract, because I think they're exclusively on what CBS or NBC. A- NBC, yeah. yeah, exclusive NBC, all games. They're getting all the money. It's Notre Dame. They're you're gonna get the recruits. You're gonna your your donors, your sponsors, your program is gonna bring in whatever they need to sustain the football program. So, I think my opinion, it's no brainer. No, Notre Dame goes back to their independent schedule. If they're undefeated or a one loss. Yeah, I see no reason well, for him to be considered for CFP. Hey, man, this is where, uh, I don't know, we expansion obviously presents its own set of issues with having eight teams, if that was the route they went. But Notre Dame always throwing in their name into the hat with their independent schedule. It's always, to me, it always seems like a way to get around that is expansion. I almost feel like the real solution, though, and I don't know. I mean, I wanted to ask you this question, Chris, but I'll put this out there real quick. Have five automatic qualifier spots for the conference champions. Have a, a dedicated spot for a G5 team, so it gives you five teams. If Notre Dame gets in, fine, cool. If not, there's three at-large bids. And you got to decide the three at-large bids, and it can be whoever you want. But if, if, if you want like a G5 team in there, if you want to make it inclusive that way, uh, you don't have to, but that would be my idea. So the winner of the Big Ten, ACC, SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, no matter what, the winners of those conferences would be in. Um, what do you think about that idea, Chris? Or well, do you think there's any other ideas we could implement? The first thought that flashed into my head is why couldn't you do a, a seeding situation somewhat similar to what the NCAA basketball tournament is? But then it dawned on me that you've had some really good teams coming into the NCAA tournament, you know, that have gotten seeded very low 
because of their conference or non-conference affiliations. Yeah. And so my initial thought was do something like that, but then I realized, eh, that probably wouldn't work. So I think your proposal is probably as good as anything out there. I mean, but it's it's not mine. I mean, I've heard it go around, but it, to me, I just don't know if there's... Even with that scenario, you still have to seed the eight teams, right? Oh, yeah. So I don't know if there's really a good way to do it, but... I mean, so in that everyone's scenario, still going to complain about it. So in that scenario, and I, I kind of missed just a little bit. I was looking at some CFP stuff, but you take your five automatic qualifiers. Yeah. And then who? how did you field your other three? You have three at-large bids, and then, like, for example, this year you would have took Cincinnati. Uh, a G5 team, the best G5 team in the rankings or however you want to do it, gets an automatic qualifier spot. And then you could take like the next three in the rankings regardless of who they are what conference g5 p5 whatever like i or you would just select them through a committee or something and then the right. committee would seed the teams like i i don't know if that's an any better solution but so, lots of people are seem frustrated with what's going on now so it, it's worth talking about a different scenario and how we you know go after the national championship game it's too bad that you can't figure out a way to I mean, when it boils down to it, the CFP was developed to make sure the money stays in certain conferences. <laughs> the BCS was developed to make sure that certain conferences, teams, got the money. And then I'm not familiar with what they did before that. Just they played, undefeated wins. They played, and then they put them in the bowl games, and then whoever they thought would win, they just point out and point be like, you win. So, Most of the time, it was the best undefeated team, though. I mean, I don't know if there's... I mean, when it boils down to it, it's all about money. So you have you have to... That would be the logical place to start. Well, but without the money, you don't well, have the programs. Just, if you don't so have the money, people this, don't right? want to play that way. So Think about this. Georgia played Cincinnati in that Peach Bowl, right? Um that's it. That's it. Like Georgia probably would have been in the playoffs in an expanded eight-team scenario. Sure, I can. Cincinnati agree with that. almost beat Georgia in that game. Like, in some ways, I just don't see the issue with having a G five team in there. I don't feel like it's going to cost you that much money. You can't tell me people aren't going to still watch that or show up to be at that game. I mean, I'd find it really surprising if that was actually the case. You know, maybe that is the case. I, I really don't know, but it would surprise me if it was. So let's just if we look back, so I can get on board with it. I mean, I don't, I don't think keeping the four teams is working out because if you just just my quick research of looking back at some of these games, your first set of four: Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State. Then the next year, Clemson, Alabama, Michigan State, Oklahoma. Then the next year, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington, Clemson. Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma. Like, you see a pattern developing here, right? Alabama's in every one of them. Clemson's <laughs> always there. Ohio State. So then it just turns into a snooze fest, in my opinion. And well, we, we're junkies, so we watch the games. We follow up. We talk about it. But let's say you expand it to an eight team. You just let the CFP committee throw out their top eight. And then in my, to avoid any having to worry about seating, just played on down the line. One plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, four plays five. So then your first games are Alabama, Cincinnati, 
Clemson, Florida, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Texas. Well, A&M. but I feel like them are great games. I watch them. Yeah, I'd watch any one of them. Oh yeah, the or rankings all of them, uh, for that matter. The rankings now become more important because sure. I don't think I don't think Florida would still be a top eight team if we did that scenario. I, and I like, agree with they you. They have three That's losses. Fine. They probably wouldn't be up there. Uh, Oklahoma, they would probably be. Yeah, so I mean, I think their rankings would look a little different. Sure, so and you'd I have agree to, with that. I can. You'd get on have board to. With that. It's almost like you'd have to have a criteria to make a top eight, right? Well, so, yeah, because yeah, they have a criteria for the top four, right? So we're gonna we're gonna expand the criteria and bring in a top eight, and we're gonna we're gonna have a little more stringent policy on how we place these teams so that we can get the best product on the field. But like I said, just quick, just quickly looking at it, based on how they did it for a four-team bracket, them's good teams. And yeah. and I wasn't, I was not on Cincinnati's bandwagon. I was not part of the whole Cinderella team. They, I told you in the podcast, Cincinnati's going to get wiped out by Georgia. The Cinderella story is over. It's not even going to be a good game. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a good game. It Cincinnati was probably proved, one of the best bowl games yeah, that they had this, this year. Is, I agree. And this Cincinnati what, okay. proved they should have been there. This is what I don't understand, though. We all sit here and act like you did, right, before the yeah. game. And then almost every time when these small teams get into these big bowl games, they play well, and we're all like, oh, who could have seen that coming? Well, it always happens. Like right. It's consistently a theme that we have going. It goes all the way back to 2004 when Utah – played really well, and had that undefeated season in 04. So, like, right. there's a pattern of it here. Sure. So and, well, there's, the, there's the pattern is there's one G5 team right. year in, year out that's good. Well, then and me, they play well against the P, P5 Let me throw this teams. out at you. Because going into that game against Coastal Carolina, both Coastal Carolina and BYU were undefeated. So would your scenario play out if it was a Coastal Carolina or a BYU? As yeah. far as what, who's in if, against If somebody Cincinnati. got as far as Cincinnati did, like Coastal, yeah, I mean, they were undefeated well, yeah. through the you season. Just, like I don't say, see why you, not. You set up your criteria, you adjust it so that you get try. You put more emphasis on winning on games. You put more emphasis on, yeah. on a schedule. Like you have uh, – 12 games normally in a season you have your seven or eight conference games you put an emphasis on your four to five non-conference games being the best possible conference games you can get i think that makes it so that alabama is not going out and looking for a, a gimme against the citadel or clemson's looking to beat up on appalachian state well, i think you have you still to, have to have those games though. sure but you don't play four teams like that. You play two, and then yeah, you bring in a little bit Bama better. Bama has no incentive to play anyone. I mean, so I think they open up against USC, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Miami. crappy. As Miami. Pac- Next right. year they open, they up, open up, against up against Miami. Miami. In as crappy as the Pac-12 is, that's not really a well, matchup okay. anymore. Well, they're not playing a Pac-12 team. So <laughs> well, I know, but you know what I'm saying. Look, my we, point is we got to move on because we're going too long on this. But what I am trying to get at mostly is – it feels like it needs to be expanded because we all love March Madness for the fact that there's always hope for sure. the small teams. And it's always cool to see VCU, George Mason, Loyola Chicago. Like, it's always cool to see those teams. Why don't we give the same opportunity to teams in college football? Yeah, I agree. If it can happen in basketball, if it can happen in baseball. I mean, Coastal Carolina won a national baseball championship not too long ago. Like... This this type of type of stuff happens all the time in other sports. It can happen in football too. So uh, we'll talk more as 
I guess in the off season, if there's any other ideas we come up with or any other things about the CFP you guys you know have on your minds. But yeah, I mean, there's there's things that need to be done. I think, and nothing can be done until like 2026. I think, anyways. So you know, we got some time to think about it and work our way onto these committees. Um, but while we're at it, before <laughs> before before Sign we before we go to break, let's talk about our our early favorites for next year's four. Uh, CFP teams um, and these might be outside the box on some of them or they might actually be realistic uh, but Chris let's start with your four early favorites to make the CFP next year okay well my four early picks and one of these probably will make no sense to either one of you two but I have Texas and I'm basing that on their recent hire of uh, coach Car- Sarkeesian okay I have Clemson I have Georgia which I think they were probably a better team than their rating would have indicated this year. And and this one is on the outside, and it kind of goes along with what Amos is saying. I have Coastal Carolina because I just look at what Coastal was able to do cool. in three years, you know, basically run an undefeated season and up until the final game. So, you know, uh, that those are my four. Yeah, no, let's go with that. I, I don't mind Coastal being on there at all. All right, uh, so I'll go next. I got I got Georgia. I think they're going to be really strong next year. Man, they're they're recruiting class looking real nice. Um, I got Clemson because I don't think they'll miss much of a beat with the quarterback exchange. I got Texas A and M. A lot of the same reasons. I got Georgia. I think they're strong. Uh, as much as Nick Saban and Alabama are a great program, I kind of think Texas A and M is going to start knocking on their door. Uh, and then I got USC. And I say USC almost every year, and they always disappoint me. So, you know, I'm either going with, like, USC, Florida, or Texas almost every year, and they all disappoint me, but I'm going to stick with USC this time. Mm-hmm. All right, Amos. That's funny. Okay, um, I mean, I think we're all on board with Texas as far as the coaching change to Steve Sarkeesian. Um, Texas is a solid program anyway, so I think he solidifies that. The recruiting gets a little more offense in. Um USC, my just simply for the fact it's USC, their number, their eighth ranked nationally for uh, recruits. Kendon Slovis is coming back. I mean, I know that we kind of rag on the Pac-12 and USC and a little bit. <laughs> no, and no, then, and, okay. And then, well, mostly Chris, mostly Chris, <laughs> mostly Chris. But I mean, you know, let I mean, let's be honest here, okay? USC, they've got. A, a, Kenan Slovis come back is going to be his third year as a starter. Clay Helton's going to be his third year as a coach. He's got his recruiting class coming back. You know, whether you think he's a great coach or not, whether you think Slovis is a great player or not, the continuity's there. I think that the Pac 12 is wide open. And Oh, it's definitely I mean, wide open. Yeah. <laughs> I set that one up. But I think USC steps up, and I think the Pac 12's got to do something to be more relevant on the CFP stage. Um, North Carolina, I just think Mac Brown's changing the atmosphere there. They got some good recruits. And then, you know, I say this all the time. If you're number one, tell somebody beat you, you're number one, whether it's last year, this year, or the next year. And Alabama, they're number one. So tell somebody beats them, they're the picks for the championship. Well, see, so. I guess I, I misunderstood, I guess, what Ty was getting at here. This was supposed to be our early favorites. I didn't think this was supposed to be our shoe ins. Oh no! I mean, which Alabama kind of is. They're not shoe ins. Yeah, no, they're they're not. So, but this is the interesting thing too. None of us, if you notice, none of us have Big Ten teams. So well, that's pretty interesting. 
we'll talk more about some Big Ten, a Big Ten program coming up here in a second. Uh, but we're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the Heisman, our, just to give our final thoughts on the Heisman because we didn't talk much about it last time. And then we got some awards to deal out, and then we're going to need some coaching changes. So uh, we'll be right back. Break. All right, welcome back to Electric Sports Talk, guys. Glad to have you along. It's been a good show so far. We've actually gone a little longer uh, so far than I thought we would, so we're doing good. I was a little worried we wouldn't have much material to talk about today. Uh, but, you know, being with Chris and Amos, they always got a lot to say. <laughs> talk about nothing forever if you want, Ty. Yeah, there you go. It's true. Um, all right, we uh, we got some big news. We're going to have a, hopefully a new intro and outro starting next week, so that'll be fun. I'm going to have some someone in the studio to record a new one, so guys I'll, I'll unveil that to you guys next week how about that um and then you know if you guys enjoy what we're doing go follow us on instagram and twitter uh get involved you can email us at electric sports talk at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you guys uh who's your you know who's your early top four favorites for next year you got coastal in yours i mean i doubt it but chris does so let's hear what you think <laughs> hey what can i say <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let's kind of wrap up our thoughts on the Heisman. We didn't talk much about it last week when it was kind of presented before we did our show and everything. Um, but what do you, you know? What do you guys think about Devonte Smith winning the Heisman, being the first wide receiver, the first non-quarterback running back in a long time, the first wide receiver in a, since you know '91 or two or something like that? Uh, I remember making our Heisman picks the week before. We all picked each of the other quarterbacks, and we all had different guys. And I, I guess we all like kind of overlooked Devontae Smith this year or something. Um, but what do you think won in the Heisman? Was it the fact that it was just someone new and it was a weird year and everyone liked the idea of a wide receiver winning it? Or do you think he was actually the best player in college football? Well, let me put it this way. After watching him in that uh, championship game the other night, I get why he won <laughs> yeah. the Heisman. I mean, he was absolutely electric. And I... I mean, I almost dread thinking about what would have happened if he just stayed healthy the entire game. They would have put up 60. Oh, yeah. yeah me I and mean, Ty talked about that. I'm like, man, if he'd have been healthy, it would have been like 80 to 20. Oh, yeah. I, I could easily see that because Ty and I were actually talking about it through the game, trying to say, okay, are they going to break 70 here? Are they going to break, you know? Well, yeah, I remember. And uh, I, I Like, think, before you fell asleep, I'm like, I think they're pacing. <laughs> I think they're pacing for 70 in this game. Yes, so you did say that. That's uh, it was going to be pretty crazy. No, I mean, uh, I guess either I didn't watch him close enough the whole season or I was more enthralled with the quarterbacks. Well, I, I was guilty of not watching him that close through the yeah. season. Yeah, I think so. I think I was too because we watched Alabama games. Like, oh, yeah. I probably watched four whole games you know, from start to finish, and I guess I just didn't really – notice him that much i was more focused on Najee harris to be honest yeah well i think Najee harris was kind of your guy that had the inside track as i recall i, I thought Najee harris for me i think he was a top four guy i think he's really you know underrated the whole season but so for me i feel like it was just a little bit of a stretch that a wide receiver won the heisman we're in a covid year like chris said everything's weird I think it was kind of a feel-good story for college football that Devontae Smith won. and But I by no means am going to argue with the fact that he won. He had a phenomenal year. 
he capped it off with a phenomenal first half. We just talked about what would happen if he played a full game in the national championship game. It could have been way more ugly for Ohio State. But I, I like what the kid done. I just – Mac Jones and, and Devontae Smith, they gelled well together. Mac Jones put the ball where he needed to. Devontae Smith was where he needed to be to catch the ball, obviously. So, I mean, you could argue that he played so well because he had such phenomenal quarterback play. You know, you can't – if you had Devontae Smith with a different quarterback, maybe he doesn't have near the year or production that he did this year. And then, obviously, Najee Harris, he's going to perform regardless of the quarterback more, so to speak. But, I mean – I'm not. I was a little surprised. I think it was a feel-good story, but you know he kind of solidified it in the championship game, and and kind of put the naysayers to rest, so to speak. So, but the kid just sounds like from the interviews they had with him at the Heisman presentation and post game, and kind of some stories they done. It just sounds like the kid's just got a phenomenal work ethic, and he just showed up and was determined to play well and. And he did, and he didn't let the hype get to him. He didn't let the have a letdown after winning the Heisman. Very well could have. I mean, he yeah. could have come in and sucked it up. But, I mean, 215, 12 catches, three touchdowns <laughs> and he in a even, half. He didn't even play the whole game. <laughs> yeah, in a yeah, half. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, and, you, you know, know that's eight, awesome. 1,850 yards on the season yeah. and 23 touchdowns. I mean, yeah, he flew under the radar. At least he flew under my radar. Yeah. No, I think he flew under all our radars, honestly. Like, when they were they're talking about him, on, and a bunch of people were like, oh, he's one of the betting favorites to win the Heisman. I was like, really? Like, I don't what? think so. So I, was, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, but our final thoughts, I think I'm both mixed, like as surprised and you know, happy for him at the same yeah, time. Yeah, surprised, but like I said, I mean, if they'd give it to Mac Jones, I wouldn't argue with you. If they give it to Trevor Lawrence... Wouldn't argue. I mean, they were all phenomenal. Kyle Trask, but mm-hmm. yeah, great, great award for him. All right. Also worth mentioning, you know, Devonte Smith <laughs> with the Heisman, he wins the Maxwell and the Walter Camp. Those are humongous awards. Um, obviously, those go to some of the best college football players in the country. He also won the Blitnikoff, which is for the best wide receiver in the country. Uh, so he like had a major sweep of what he did. Some other ones, I mean, I don't want to talk about all these, but we'll just kind of go over some of the major ones, I guess, and the fact that Bama got a bunch of them, I guess we'll (laughs) kind of mention too. Uh, The Davey O'Brien Award for the best quarterback in the country went to Mac Jones. The Remington for the best center went to another Alabama guy, Landon Dickerson. The Doak Walker Best Running Back Award went to Najee Harris, of course. The Outland, which is for the best uh, lineman, that went to Alex Leatherwood. Like, Alabama's got all these phenomenal players all across their team uh the john Mackey best tight end kyle pitts of course uh the defensive player of the year award went to uh zaven collins from tulsa and he also got the nagarski which is uh the defensive lineman i'm pretty sure uh so that you know he i think can be phenomenal at the next level and also worth mentioning the william v campbell trophy which is the academic heisman which that's cool too you know it's it's uh you're phenomenally smart in the classroom as well as a great athlete. That went to Brady White from Memphis. So, you know, congratulations to all these guys. There's other awards throughout here for different things, but those were just kind of some of the bigger ones I wanted to talk about. Um, phenomenal year, honestly, from a lot of guys, even with everything they had to go through with COVID. And I mean, 
what a crazy year to even be able to play college football at all. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and obviously that all them awards, the season, looking back on everything, COVID didn't diminish what most teams were able to still produce for a college football season. So yeah, any, I was actually I thinking mean, about that. Uh, any, I was, you know, we ragged on Ohio State because they only had seven games. We ragged on the Pac-12 because they had all their issues. But nonetheless, everybody, I mean, it was – they did what they could with the challenges ahead of them. And, I mean, I thought it was a great year of college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually thinking about this. There's There's been all this talk this last year, right, about all these championships that teams have won or plays or records that have been set or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, there's going to be an asterisk and everything. Uh, I don't think that anything about this college football season will have an asterisk next to it for me. Sure, there were there were cancellations, there were delays, there were guys that guys, coaches, tons of people that got COVID and that affected the game. But I just don't feel like anything deserves an asterisk next to it. No, Devontae Smith deserves a Heisman. Alabama was the best team in the country the whole season, and I mean everything just actually played out a lot better than I think a lot of us thought it could go. So it's pretty cool. Um, so those are some of the official awards. But now let's get into the awards. That we have, right? Like the, the real awards. The important Yeah, the, the, important the real awards. ones. The Electric Sports Talk Awards. I mean, because yeah. this is what you guys are wanting to hear, of course. <laughs> um, so, some of the categories. Uh, and if there's any other categories you guys think of when we're talking about this, feel free. We'll, we'll add them. Uh, so, we have Best Player of the Year. We have Best Coach of the Year. Best Team of the Year. That one might be like unanimous surprise team of the year now you can take that as surprise good or surprise bad uh i think we all kind of interpret that different and the best game of the year uh are there any other awards that you guys want to hand out this bring to your mind or do you like uh these five that we got no i say we go with this and then we'll see where it leads us okay um all right best player of the year amos let's hear uh, your best player of the year we'll just kind of go around the table and go down the list cool so my best player of the year Mac Jones, quarterback for Alabama, he just solid hit. He hit all the right buttons through the year. I mean, he led a high power Alabama offense, undefeated season, led him to the national championship. Phenomenal. I mean, I know his job looked easy with Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and that Alabama defense, but he nonetheless played great all year long, in my opinion. Uh, I'll second the Mac Jones pick. I, I, I just was. You know, I'd followed the kid all year. I wasn't as high on him, I guess, as I should have been. But I agree that he's probably the player of the year. And yeah. and what really turned me around on that was the way he gutted it out in the second half of that Alabama game. After mm. and and arguably that injury that he got, I mean, that's yeah, could have been big. Well, and on top of that, you get your leg mashed like that in the calf, and that's just hurts. Yeah, there's just no nice way to say it. All right, I'll stay uh, in Alabama with my pick, but I'm going to go with Najee Harris. Um, if the NFL draft made like actual sense, then Najee Harris would be <laughs> <laughs> Najee Harris would be like a top ten pick because he is he's arguably like the fifth most talented player in all of college football when it comes right down to it. Uh, running backs just aren't as valued as they should be, I don't think. But he's so dynamic. He's versatile. He's he's a smart kid. He's a good kid too. Uh, and he's done a lot of things right through his career. I think he made the right choice to come back to Alabama for this season. And, you know, honestly, I think that he will be in the long list of 
Alabama running backs that make it to the next level and are special uh, in the NFL. So that's who I have for player of the year. Coach of the year is where we're going to go next. Um, let's start with Chris. What do you got? I have two. Okay, that's fine. Um, I picked uh, Jeremy Chadwell from Coastal Carolina because to me it's it's just blows my mind that after three years this guy's running an undefeated season. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and I mean, y- you just don't take basically a non-existent program, which is what it was for. He got there and turned it around and and you know ran an undefeated season. Yeah, very for impressive. all intents and purposes. My second pick would be the uh, uh, offensive coordinator for Alabama, Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. And and initially, I thought you wanted just head coaches, but I got thinking about you know, Sarkeesian's done a heck of hey, a man, job. Hey, man, it just says coach of the year. It doesn't say head coach. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. There you go. So that's who I'm going with. All right. Uh, my coach of the year is going to be Kalani Sataki from BYU. Uh, now, I kind of thought this when Codwell won the AP coach of the year. Uh, I just think that Sataki did deserves coach of the year mainly because everything BYU had to do to even have a season in the first place. Uh, they like totally got their schedule messed up, and then they had to arrange a bunch of stuff to get new guys in, uh, new teams in, and play, and then they had a really good season on top of it. Um, and I think Kalani could potentially be building something special at BYU for the next couple years. Uh, but I just think not mainly for like how the team played, just what the team had to overcome on the field and off the field this year. More than other programs, I think, I'm going to give him the nod. Well, yeah, I mean, BYU wasn't given an opportunity to hit a conference, so they had to start from scratch on yeah. building their, well, their and schedule. What, so For yeah. the first like month or something, they were the only team west of – of like the of Texas that was playing football, so well uh, and out there trying to find games. Yeah, they were taking <laughs> they actively, were taking anyone yeah, actively trying. Hey, I'll we'll play you. Yeah, anytime, anywhere, any place. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, all right, Amos, you're up next. Okay, so I'm kind of all over the place with the coach of the year. I mean, <laughs> I like I said, I'm really surprised how the college football season turned out. There were a few feel good stories of the year. Um, the first name I'm going to throw out is Nick Saban. I mean, the dude has built a dynasty at Alabama. Of course, yeah. He has built a dynasty of coaches. He's built a dynasty for players. He's an NFL factory for coaches and players. Um, the guy is just – he just finds a way to win. He's bringing in great recruits, great coaches. Hats off to him. He's had a great career. I'm going to uh, jump on Ty's bandwagon with Kalani Sataki. I felt like he had a good year. That, you know, BYU in general is building their program. They would have had a stellar schedule, maybe not necessarily the record outcome of a pre COVID schedule that they had with the post COVID schedule, but they're building a program. BYU's put, or uh, Kalani Sataki's putting his mark on BYU. I think it's great. He's bringing in his recruits, he's putting in his coaches. He's playing teams he wants. I think it's what BYU wanted to do it with independence is starting to, to come to fruition. So hats off to Kalani Sataki in the BYU program. And I just got to throw this out there, just kind of looking through some stuff, trying to see if I missed anybody. Matt Campbell, head coach for Iowa State. I uh, mean, when you yeah, think of hmm. college football in the Big 12, Iowa State's not top of the list. The guy got some love from the NFL this yeah, year. He like had, a, aren't they like a wrestling? School yeah, wrestling or program. You know, like they just you just don't think of the Cyclones as this premier 
college program, let alone in the Big 12. So uh, Matt Campbell was given a little bit of love by some NFL teams, maybe for some coordinator jobs, head coaching jobs. He decided to stay, but, I mean, he had a great season, so give him a little love. And then, uh, you know, really when it boils down to it, any coach that kept their kids safe through COVID this year and the year they had, hats off to yeah. all of them. But, yeah, I them agree. guys, top of the list there. All right, well, we'll move on to best team of the year. I think this one, uh, well, it was easy for me, but there's different ways to interpret it. So, you know, however you guys interpret it, that's fine. Uh, but I went with Alabama. Roll Tide, baby. I mean, undefeated, natty champs. Not many teams went undefeated this season. Uh, actually, wait. They were the only team to go undefeated this season, right? Because San Jose yeah, State lost. Ultimately, they were Cincinnati the only one that lost. Ran the table. Everybody lost but Alabama. So to go through what COVID presented, to run the table, to play all SEC competition and then play two of the top teams in the country to win the national title, I mean, best team in the country by far. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Hard to argue. You're number one. Yeah, okay. You're the CFP. Well, I was wondering if we were... Champion. I wonder if anyone else was going to interpret it different, so... I wanted no, to, I mean... Well, I wanted to leave you? it open, you know? No, I mean, they did everything they needed to. Yeah. Like, you hit all the... You checked all the boxes, Ty. All right. Uh, surprising team of the year. We're back to you, Amos. Um. So, my surprise team of the year, kind of staying with the theme of not teams you normally see, Indiana. I mean, their basketball program... I can't remember the last time that Indiana was relevant in football, if they ever like, have been. I don't know. The 80s you know maybe? what I mean? And I'm not a huge football fan when I was younger, but, you know, I mean, that's pretty cool that Indiana put together a decent season. Yeah, I know it's a Big Ten team, but they were right there. They give Ohio State a run for their money. They were, what, six points away, seven points away from being in the Big Ten championship game possibly so uh great season for indiana and uh be kind of cool to see him come back next year okay here again i have two okay um i have two too so yeah. okay cool uh i'm gonna go with iowa state i was totally blown away by how well they performed this entire season i hope that that continues to be honest with you and my other team surprise team of the year was again coastal carolina and and i'm giving a lot of kudos to coastal carolina but Man alive, you just can't argue that undefeated season, you know, going into a bowl game. Uh, it's just hard to do in three yeah. years. That's my big yeah. thing is in three years. I agree. Okay, uh, I'm going to have two also. My surprisingly bad team of the year uh, is where I'll go. It was Wisconsin. Um, I know they had to deal oh, with yeah. – I know I they had to that. deal with COVID problems. And On, I know continually. Right, and I know the season, you know – we always have to caveat with that. But Wisconsin, for me, was, like, surprisingly bad. Like, I I remember the first show we did, we were, like, on Wisconsin's bandwagon, and we're like, oh, yeah, they could definitely challenge Ohio State for the title this yeah, year. Yeah, we were. They were nowhere close to being that good. No, they just they didn't show up after that first game. No. First couple of games <laughs> of the season, they just weren't there. Yeah, so I got, I got Wisconsin as my surprise bad team. My surprise good team, I'm actually going to go with Florida. I didn't think Florida was going to be as good this year. Uh, I figured they'd be, you know, tough. I figured they'd compete. But if you actually would have told me that some kid that hasn't started a football game in his career since high school would then lead a team like Florida to the SEC championship game and almost be in the CFP, 
Uh, I would have laughed at you because, honestly, I didn't think Florida was going to do that good. So that's what I got. Uh, okay, we're on to maybe the crowd favorite here. Best game of the year. I think we all went with different ones and kind of fun ones. Uh, but, Chris, we'll start with you. Here again, I have two. Okay, you have two. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, this is a like... surprise. You told you told me one, so, yeah, yeah let's, well, let's go with two. I got thinking about that Georgia, help me out here, uh, the Georgia game that they played in the bowl game. Oh, Cincinnati. Yes, Georgia Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I mean, that was a fun game okay. to watch. You know, because, I mean, Cincinnati was beating them like a drum up until the fourth quarter, and then Georgia came back. And and I like watching games like that, you know. My other one was Notre Dame-Clemson number one. Number what was one. that? Number one. It's like, like, number a, one. It's like <laughs> boxing, man. Yeah. It's got like one and two. Yeah, so yeah, three like overtimes that. to get to the eventual winner of that game. And here again, you know, that's one of those ones that it just was a Duke fest right up. That was a fun end. game, though. That was, I think some of us kind of forget about that game uh, in a way because of what happened in the second time yep. they played. Oh, yeah. But that was the game, too, where they rushed the field and all the fans were on the field and everyone was freaking out because they're like, don't you know it's They're COVID? spreading COVID. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, that was that pretty was good. All right, so yeah. I just thought of one, so I'm going to cheat and go with 2-2. Two, because two. <laughs> <laughs> I just had one come to my mind that was actually really good. Um, okay, so I'm going to go, my first one's BYU and Coastal. That was honestly the first time watching college football all year that I felt like I could feel the crowd again, right? Like, And I was very invested into that game. It was, it was a super fun game. And honestly, I mean, the way it ended was crazy. So, yeah, it has to be. Plus the the you know Mormons versus Mullets thing, those T-shirts. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> that yeah. was great. I mean, if you're anytime you're going back to Catholic versus convicts, and trying to you know portray stuff like that, you're gonna get some love from me. And then the other one that I just thought of that I totally forgot about because it happened so long ago, it feels like, is Alabama at Old Miss. That game was insane, super high scoring. And honestly, Bama winning that game, I felt like that turned their season around, that turned the defense around. I think Nick Saban probably come to practice the next week and drilled those guys until they were puking probably because of how crazy that game was. But uh, I remember listening to that one on the radio, actually. And, man, that was a fun game. The guy on the on the call made it really fun. Okay, so my top pick, probably not as exciting as your guys' mine's kind of a run of the norm. Alabama-Florida in the SEC championship game. I think, for me, what was an exciting game was seeing Kyle Trask literally just put Florida on his shoulders. And I know I said this earlier in the game, Era in the podcast where we talked about hero ball, and to a degree he did play hero ball, but it worked out for him. I mean, he put Florida on his shoulders, and he basically willed them to almost win in the CF or the SEC championship game. So um, for me, that was a fun game. Yeah, uh, just because we kind of was on the Florida bandwagon and the the yeah, Kyle we Trask bandwagon, you know, and I mean. It just showcased him and the talent he's going to be at the next level and then his great re, uh, tight end receiver slash receiver with Kyle Pitts. So that was a fun game. I mean, but that game just goes to prove why Alabama is the national champion. It didn't matter who it was in front of them or what type of game it was. It was like, okay, you want to get down and dirty? You want to score a bunch of points? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do that. You yeah. want to have a slugfest and run it out? You just want to duke it out in the trenches? Yeah, I'm game. Yeah. You want to do all the above and just whatever? Yeah, I'm, you know, whatever. Well, that's... They, didn't, uh, they just played. They didn't play to the level of their opponent. 
they made their opponent play to their level, and it, it was a fun game. That's, uh, that's what Nick Saban so, does, man. Yeah. So I, I went back because I had forgotten about that Ole Miss game, so I went back and just pulled it up real quick. You know, Mac Jones was 28 for 32 in that game. I mean, how do you miss four passes in a game? You know, yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. And he was four hundred and seventeen yards. Yeah, it was an insane game. So like, yeah, I, I agree with Ty on that one. That probably was one that that I just completely spaced. But boy, it was. All right, there's our awards for the season. Uh, obviously, just kind of some fun stuff that we wanted to do. Obviously, we all know those were the real awards you guys wanted to hear. Because who needs the college football? ESPN awards or whatever they call yeah, them. Yeah, they aren't the true yeah. awards. Who needs that? That's right. Get us on these committees. Okay. Um, send us, send Electric Sports Talk <laughs> a ballot for some of this stuff, right? Yeah. Let us weigh in on this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, I, Heisman, I know. Pick, my Heisman pick wouldn't have even made the top four, so this is, this is crap. Maybe, I need a vote. Maybe your vote would have put <laughs> him over the edge. I need a vote. Okay. Uh, let's get into some coaching stuff real quick. Um... We got you know 15 minutes to talk about this, I guess. So let's start with Boise State. They get have a new head coach. This was kind of we were kind of starting to wonder what was taking Boise so long to find a head coach, and then uh, not too long after our show, it came out that they hired defensive coordinator from Oregon, Andy Avalos. Is that how you say his name, Chris? Right? Uh, yeah, sounds good to me. You were saying it the other day, but anyways. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, he's a so he's <laughs> so he's a former linebacker for Boise State, right? Um, I think here again, you know, it was kind of an outside shot pick, but hey, I don't have a problem with it. Right? Do you find it interesting? That's actually a, a defensive-minded guy, though, for a team mm, like Boise State. Well, yes and no, because but here again, and see, this is the thing: Boise State. I think their offensive coordinator went with. Uh, Oh, God. I'm really drawing a blank tonight. I think he went with the head coach that went to Auburn. Oh, did he? I uh, think. Actually, I, d I don't know about that, so I he could have, yeah. But so, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit surprised. But that's been the one glitch about Boise State, in my mind, is defensively they've really not been one of them standout, beat-you-to-death kind of yeah, teams. Yeah, man. So. The trick plays and the hook and ladders and all that stuff, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. It might be a little bit of a different identity that we see Boise take on with a more defensive-minded coach, honestly. Yeah. And and a guy that has had experience at Boise since 2012, coached there until 2018, and then, you know, going to coach in two years under Mario Cristobal probably at, at Oregon and being in a big-time program like Oregon, that probably brings a lot of good things to a program like Boise State. Uh, Amos, anything else to add about this hire? Well, I think – even though we may be a defensive-minded coach, all you got to do is bring in the right offensive coordinator and just kind of give him your, your grand overall scheme of what you want to see, have minimal input, and let him run with it. Boise <laughs> yeah. State's a team that's going to draw in offensive recruits. They always have been. They always will be. So, you know, don't, don't try and reinvent the wheel offensively. Try and improve on the wheel, but don't reinvent the wheel. And, yeah, I mean, it'd be great to see some defense – but let's be honest, this is college football, and you just kind of grit your teeth and bear it when it comes to defense. You get the best players you, in, you can, and you throw out the best scheme. But, I mean, these are kids that are going to college, and it's. I think it's easier for an offensive-minded kid to know his route and be in his position. Defense, a little bit. I, and I noticed this. I kind of – and I don't know why I watched this. Be, noticed this more this year, maybe because I watch more college football. 
But Ty kind of brought it to my attention because I'm like, these are college kids. They should be doing this, and they should be doing that. But sometimes you just got to remember they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and to a degree it's still kind of like peewee football, man. Wherever the ball's at, that's where you want to be. So if the ball's moving to the right side of the field, the uh, the whole left side of the field goes with them, and then, boom, he goes for a long touchdown. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of the fun part of – I mean, that's what makes college bo- football fun. If you have a, a bunch of twenty twenty games, who cares? You want you want fifty two to forty eight games. So well, don't get too uh, crazy with the defensive. Some Boise of State. us like that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm okay with having you know a nice little uh, low scoring tight game, a little fun to watch. Yeah, uh, you, you know, you're different than me on that. I can't stand a three and zero. Oh. You know, three to nothing game. I mean, I, I like to see the scoring out there, but by heavens, you know. Let's see the kicker get a sweat from all the kickoffs that he has. Yes, to do. exactly. That would be okay. nice, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> okay. Um, so Let's make a kickoff player a big time recruit. <laughs> worth mentioning that Mario Cristobal, uh, he was a an offensive. Uh, he was an assistant head coach, offensive line coach. At Alabama from 13 to 16. So Nick Saban's coaching tree continues to grow and his prodigies continue to produce great talent. They get head coaching jobs everywhere. Uh, so, you know, Mario Cristobal, kind of a Nick Saban influenced guy, and now a Nick Saban Cristobal influenced guy is a head coach in another program. So uh, I just want to throw that out there. I find that very intriguing. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about this a little. Uh, <laughs> You know, and we've we've talked at length about this, and I think everyone out there really knows our feelings on this pretty good. Uh, but Michigan, they offered <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michigan put out on the table a five-year extension for Harbaugh. This takes him all the way to the end of 2026, I believe. Uh, 2026 or 2025? Yeah, 2026. Yeah, 2026. And this will – now, it was being reported that it was on the table, ready for him to sign – he did not want to sign it because he wanted more money. Well, I don't know if they gave him more money in the contract or whatever, uh, but it ended up working out to be a five-year, 21, around, my math, if it's kind of right, it's around a five-year, 21.5. a year, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, $4 million a year, essentially. But the bulk of it is you know, right around 21 mil. So... If you actually read more into the contract, though, he could make up to like $3 million in incentives for different things, mainly uh, including winning conference titles, winning division titles, and winning the CFP. I even think like if he just gets there to the CFP, uh, essentially if he wins a conference, which would most likely get you to the CFP, he gets a million dollars for that. He gets a million dollars for winning the... uh, college football playoff he gets a half of a million for winning their division so like they've built all these incentives into his contract so he can or you th- you would think at least so he will win games that's how you're going to get money so his his salary could fluctuate between four and eight million dollars depending on the results that he's getting and the additive added incentives into his contract but yeah his base salary right around four million It'll increase to just above 4.3 uh, in the last year of his deal. So I know everyone knows our feelings about this. I know 
uh, it's insane for all of us. Um, but let's let's kind of talk about now that it's official, and you know we don't got to spend a lot of time on it. I guess, uh, Chris, what do you think about it being official now? Harbaugh at Michigan for the next six years, guaranteed. Well, I don't think it's guaranteed for six years, but okay. Well, his contract at yeah, least is. Um, <laughs> The interesting thing to me about it is, is Harbaugh signed for less than any of the other Big Ten coaches are making. You know, he's going to be the lowest paid Big Ten coach. Yeah, unless he makes, unless really? he wins. Yeah, according to this, what I'm reading in the Detroit Free Press. Um, but it, these are numbers that I can't even get my head around. I mean, his, <laughs> you know, it, it, I just can't get my head around these numbers. It's just phenomenal to me. What he what his incentives are, you know, three three million dollars, you know, but it also says in this article that his buyout for his final year, so twenty twenty six, I guess we'd be talking about his buyouts zero dollars. So that yeah, so he they can base they, well exactly they 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 don't have to buy him out that final year if he's not producing they can dump him. So is but is the so originally it was a five year extension starting. 2021, so that would have took him to 2026. Right. He has one Didn't year they, left on his deal. Mm-hmm. So I think the one year that was left renegotiated back into the contract. Yes. So now he's only under contract till 2025, isn't he? No, 2026. It is 2026? Yeah. Okay. But it did, but it did renegotiate because he basically took, uh, and I saw it here, this $270,000 cut in pay Oh. for, you know, for, yeah. for next year. Sniffle me, man. I mean... Yeah, but Where's the Kleenex for Jim Harbaugh. He's not taking uh he's not taking it's not like he's taking the pay cut because he's a great coach and you know they're being mean to him. It's cuz he can't win. So right. you're going to have to give him the pay cut and give him more incentive to well, win I games. Think, well, I mean, I'm looking at the incentives here, you know. You're talking you're talking 500,000 if he reaches the college football semifinal and he gets an additional 200,000 if he makes a New Year's Six Bowl. And then he gets an additional 500000 for winning the Big Ten outright. So you know what's insane, though? All these incentives that you just, like those ones that you just listed off, some of the ones I listed off earlier, um, they don't, they, he has not done those things. I don't even know if he's made a New Year's Six Bowl since he's been there. I'll look it up. Like, I mean, he is literally getting incentivized to win games, and that's all. Yeah. He, he gets seventy five k if he gets the coach winning National Coach of the Year. So, Chris, let me ask you this. Do you think adding the incentives into the contract will produce different results? Who knows? It'll save Michigan I mean, it, money. It would give him okay, it would give him an incentive to make more money. But I mean, some of these to me are just ridiculous. You know, he gets fifty K for winning the Big Ten Coach of the Year. You know? I I, I mean, I don't know. I, but the thing is he hasn't but like these are the, these are Michigan friendly incentives because he hasn't won Coach of the Year that I'm aware of. Granted. He hasn't made it to a CFP. He, Granted. He hasn't won a Big Ten championship. Hell, he hasn't beat Ohio State. Is there an incentive for beating Ohio State? Um, I'm not seeing that. I either. mean, I would put a damn million-dollar incentive on beating Ohio State. Well, I mean, if... <laughs> if you can't beat Ohio State, you sure the hell ain't going to be this Big Ten champion. He gets 500000 for winning the Big Ten East outright. So that means he's got to beat Ohio State. All right. Um, so he gets half a million dollars just for beating or being the Big Ten East champion. I mean, I understand what Michigan's doing here. Okay, he, they 
you have to have some continuity. You have to have something that the kids that you're recruiting can look towards and be like, yes, Harbaugh's been here. Yes, there's work to be done. I get it. But it's Michigan. I'm I'm being recruited by one of the best programs. So I understand Michigan's AD and Michigan's program, but I also... Ty's holding up a sign saying to me, he's a loser. Well, well, He doesn't win games. As a recruit, why am I going to be like, oh, good. I know that the coach will be there for five more years, and continuity is something I value. No, I value winning games and being in the NFL. So I'm looking at his coaching schedule. So he, he, all but this year, he's had a winning winning season. He's done Ohio State for the final game of the year. (laughs) Well, sure, but it wouldn't have mattered if he won or lost that game because he was two and four. But the first year, 2015, 10 and three, they it lost in the Citrus Ohio Bowl. State if he to beat him. Yeah. The second year, 2016, 10 and three, lost in the Orange Bowl. Eight and five, lost in the Outback Bowl. 10 and three, lost in the Peach Bowl. 2019, okay, so nine and four, lost in the Citrus Bowl. They've so, yeah. made some New Year's Six Bowls then. Yeah. But they haven't won any of them. Well,. So wait, Chris, is the incentive that he wins the New Year's Six Bowl or just makes it to it? Let's see. Uh, he gets two hundred thousand for reaching a New Year's Six oh Bowl. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, and Ooh. and then five hundred k for winning the t- Big Ten East. But see, here's the see, thing. See, they so he's won a uh, one conference division title. But here's the thing, <laughs> Amos, in two thousand eight. Let me throw this out at you because you've talked about it continuously through this season. You know, if 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 they canned Harbaugh or he quit or whatever, then that opens up the transfer portal, you know, for players. And there's a lot of players he's recruited to Michigan that would say, "Well, Harbaugh's gone. I'm out of here." Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's that potential, and we've seen that when they fired their DC. So there yeah. was a few yeah, kids a that point. left. But I mean, you look at Michigan right now, recruiting wise. They're second in the Big Ten, and they're 13th nationally. So I'm not saying – okay, now look, I'm not saying that that this was a great deal for Michigan because I told you right from the beginning that his days were numbered. They should ax him. But these two things right here stick out to me like a sore thumb. If you're number two in the Big Ten and you're 13th nationally and you went two and four, what the hell is Michigan thinking? So I want to add this – and then, I don't know, I think we've covered it pretty extensively. Honestly, We can talk about we're just, it all day. Yeah, we're just repeating ourselves at this point from past episodes. But uh, you said he's 12th, 13th, what do you say, 13th nationally? 13th nationally, right. second in the Big Ten. So he's 13th nationally in recruiting. Uh, Michigan, in like the grand scheme of things, when it gets right down to it, they are a top five team nationally. They should be. like The expectation, I think, of Michigan fans is – we are one of the best. So to be recruiting 13th, that's a bigger red flag to me than being 2-4 and four if, if you're a top you know, 15-ish team because you are not pull, you're not even pulling in the recruits that I think Michigan should based on what you're doing. Should you know, or it, could. It's, it's yeah, just, it, Michigan's a bigger program than I think Harbaugh's giving the results to. And to then just give him an extension, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. So this is so this is going to be a great comparison. So we Texas gets rid of Tom Herman. We've reviewed his schedule or his um, 
his coaching career at Texas. We talked about it at length. He has a similar pedigree as Harbaugh. So <laughs> they ax Tom Herman. They bring in Steve Sarkeesian. They keep Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. So it'll be really interesting to see which program. That'll kind of be what I'm looking for next year. Which program done better by staying with continuity and kind of what they know even though it's not maybe what Michigan expects. Yeah. And then another program who's like, no, we're here to win, and you didn't good for us. We appreciate the opportunity, but let's bring the next guy in and see what he can do. All right, the vote. This is the last thing I want to talk, talk about with Harbaugh. Uh, this we'll take a vote. I, I just want the year. You don't got to explain yourself. Uh, Chris, when does Michigan fire Harbaugh? Two well, years. Two years. So you're giving him till 2022. Yeah, I, I uh, had so like his two, buyout. His buyout. Two full years. Two full seasons. His buyout goes down as his contract progresses. All right, Amos. When did they fire him? Because I I don't think he's going to make it till 2026. I I do think he gets fired. Yeah, I, I'm I. He should have got fired this year. <laughs> sure. Two full I mean, seasons. Oh, God. I think he needs to have proven results by the end of 2021. Oh, so you're giving him one season. Yeah. I mean, come on. All right. You're throwing out no. the extension incentives, but you're going to tell, right, in my opinion, you're going to know right away whether – and they were team-friendly incentives, but I think right now you're going to – I think you'll know by the end of the year. All right, so you're giving him a year. Chris, you got two. Uh, I'm going to say he gets fired halfway through 2023. Oh, you're giving him a little more love. Well, I think it's not me giving him the love. It's the fact that Michigan has dealt with him, Yeah. and I think they'll continue to, and I I still don't think the results will be there, and they'll just – They'll just be done with it, and I think it'll be a midseason firing, honestly. So we'll have to see. All right. Um, once again, we we're going to talk about Urban Meyer. Uh, we're kind of running quick on a uh, little short on time, though. Not much to report, though. He's yeah. Jacksonville well, wants him. He's kind of eh, so waffling. The only thing that I would add to the Urban Meyer saga is there's a lot of talk that if he goes to Jacksonville, he's going to pull a lot of his staff from – assistances he's had in college ball all right um so this is this is one thing i want to talk about just real quick though uh chris can urban meyer coach in the nfl and be as successful as he was in college no no what do you think amos he's got a salary cap to contend with in in the nfl (laughs) (laughs) he didn't have to worry about that at ohio state yeah or or what was it, Florida or Florida State where he coached before? Florida, yeah. I mean, you look at the mess he left out of Florida. I mean, it was just like, it's true. good Lord, I mean, this was a train wreck that happened, and he just walked away. I mean, there is a little truth to that, yeah. Salary cap, sure. So, <laughs> I I mean, you can look at – I'm going to compare Urban Meyer just a little – not like a lot. I'm going to kind of give him – the opportunity to kind of do what Pete Carroll's doing. Um, Pete Carroll is a great coach. He was a he was an NFL coach before he went to USC and done well, and then come back to the NFL and obviously done well in Seattle and is continuing to do well. I feel like Urban Meyer is gonna ha- if he wants to be successful in the NFL, he's gonna have to adapt a little bit of what Pete Carroll has done. I don't necessarily care for it. 
what Pete Carroll does, but he he kind of lets these players be players. He treats them as adults, and I mean, ultimately, that's what you are. The NFL is a business. It's your job. I don't know that if Urban Meyer is going to go into Jacksonville and try and treat them like they're twenty-year-old kids that just come from mama, I, and scare them into his buying onto his program. I don't know if that's going to work. I feel like if he kind of models himself a little bit in that manner, I think he'll be successful. He's been successful everywhere else. Why couldn't he be? So I think it's just going to see whether he bends his philosophy to suit the NFL or if he tries to bend the NFL to his philosophy. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really just depends is is the answer. Okay, so uh, I did say that I thought there'd be more out about this Next week, I said that on last week's show, so obviously there wasn't. So uh, we'll talk about more of it next week is what I wrote down. But uh, So this is what I think we're going to do, just so you guys know, moving forward. Uh, we're going to start alternating weeks on putting out a NASCAR show on this day and then a college football show on this day until NASCAR season starts. And then we'll probably go away from college football, won't be doing as many shows. Uh, just cover maybe like once a month some big stuff if that's okay with you guys. Well, that's great. Uh, until the season gets closer to starting, then I'll, we'll get. I'll finally be able to talk about something I know something about. Okay, uh, and then as the season gets closer, we'll, well jump. You've been doing a good job BSing everybody, so yeah, man, I, I don't want to see what he's gonna lay down on us with the NASCAR. Yeah, then. no, for sure. <laughs> uh, so that's that'll be the plan moving forward, guys. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the the college football shows i mean i think they're pretty fun but you know as uh, the point we're getting to now i think uh it'll be a little easier to do every other week and just kind of you know go through some coaching stuff mostly now so uh yeah i think that'll be the plan so if you guys are like if you guys are having me ty yeah thanks for being here no news on marshall as of yet yeah oh yeah i wrote that down thanks for pointing that out uh they're still the only open open head coaching position right now so we'll have to see where that one goes. Uh, but, yeah, if you guys are into NASCAR or want to know more about it, go ahead and tune into that. Chris, he's our expert over here, and he'll regularly date himself on the on the episodes. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, NASCAR's a passion. That's all I can say. Yeah, and I have is. followed it for a long time. Hey, so, see, yeah. We if haven't you guys, even had a podcast. He's already dating No, himself. if you guys want to get into that, it's a good time. NASCAR's uh, fun. For all you that don't know anything about NASCAR, trust have me, any bit of interest it in is, it. There is more to it than turning yeah, listen, left. We, yeah. can, we can change your mind because it's a good time. All right. Um, and then as the NFL season gets more close to an end, we'll start putting out We'll try and meet up more, the four, three of us, with Carson to do some draft stuff as it gets closer. Yeah, I'd like that. Uh, I can so dig the draft. We'll we'll do that. I don't know, if Chris, you'll want to be involved in that as much. Sure, but, why not? I can, but yeah, I, mean, I can fire cheap shots at anybody. Okay, cool. I like it. Actually, you know, perfect reason to have you on the show then. Um, <laughs> so that's all we got today, guys, but that's just kind of the plan moving forward, just so you know. Uh, but we'll continue the UFC. Uh, I'll be putting out some soccer stuff, of course, me and, and Carson. And look for us later in the week for the NCAA basketball. Yep. I was getting there. Chris is still in my thunder. Oh, sorry. Um, me and Carson. <laughs> Mike off. Mike off. Me and Carson want to start doing some more soccer stuff, so we'll we'll get more into that. Uh, but, yeah, we got a large range of things coming for you guys. Like I also said, we're going to have a new intro. So if the show – if you turn on the show next week, it sounds different. It is the same show. It's just, you know – a more professional voice and <laughs> it won't be me pretending to be someone else. So it'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, I thank you guys for tuning in to the college football shows. We've had a fun season. Hope you guys enjoyed our awards. 
uh, give us your awards. Let us know what you guys think about the season. And uh, you know, honestly, I can't wait for the next season already. I mean, I hope everything's gone and we can go back to football games like we were last year, uh, the year before, because, man, I miss that. All right, guys. I uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your day, and peace out. for listening to this episode of Electric Sports Talk. Tune in next time as Ty Crystal and guests break down all things sports here on Electric Sports Talk. Our topics include all things soccer, football, basketball, mixed martial arts, motorsports, baseball, golf, hockey, Olympic, and world sports. If you like what we're doing here at Electric Sports Talk, get in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or email us at electricsportstalk at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. 